Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Thank you, Father, for blessing us to be able to do this. And uh, thank you, Father, that you're giving wisdom out now uh, to the saints now for the battle today, but also for the battles to come. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're going to continue with Faction Cannot Prevail, number 10. And our first word is witchcraft used on the people through the entertainment industry. Uh-huh. Winnie Asagata, 11, 17, 21. Uh, I will say that this revelation is a warning to discern what we listen to and watch, and especially for our children, too and to also pray against the witchcraft that these Satanists bring. Their influence is in every form of media, on the YouTube ads, billboards, in music, and items in the grocery store. They're constantly exercising their authority against whoever is listening or watching. Uh, Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I also will forget thy children. Oh, we don't want that, do we? Uh, She said, I dreamt this morning that I was in a room with Beyonce and, uh, and a group of other people wearing navy blue blazers to represent the Democratic Party. Hmm. Beyonce is an international superstar pop singer, but also a known witch for those with eyes to see. The factious in state and church are rebelling against God to do their own will through witchcraft, exercising manipulation and control for their own gain, uh, this is futile. They already have their reward and are doomed to eternal damnation. In the dream, I knew that Beyonce was born for the position that she was in and was born to be a Democrat. Although she was wearing a closed blazer, it was a V-neck and she was not wearing a shirt underneath. So, it wasn't very modest. Well, all the Satanists are full of lust and try to attract those of weak heart through the lust of their eyes into their cults. I was observing her and the others standing across from me to my left, and they were grumbling about the shift that was happening in politics. Oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) It seemed that there were a couple of Democrats in the House that had lost their seats to the Republican Party. 
if there was anyone in that room that was excited about that, they had to keep it under wraps for fear of the Satanists. Democrats um, uh, have been taken over by the Satanist elites. The scene changed, and Beyonce and another young black woman were sitting on a long table with Beyonce in the middle, and these women were sitting to her left and to her right, and I was sitting across from Beyonce as an observer. At this point, her hair was much shorter than it was in the first scene. Uh, well, this obviously is a shame. It is showing that there is no submission whatsoever to authority or God. Uh, and according to 1 Corinthians 11 and 5, it says, But every woman praying or prophesying with her head unveiled dishonoreth her head, for it is one and the same as if she were shaven. The room was now very dark, whereas previously there had been some light in the room. Darkness, of course, speaks of Satan uh, taking authority. Although it was very dark, this darkness had a blue uh, Democrat <laughs> hue like it would look if there were a thunderstorm. The lightning and the atmosphere also reminded me of what it looks like when they are depicting seances in the movie. As I was observing, I saw Beyonce lift up her hands and she threw up some black M&Ms into the air. They were suspended in the air in a right-facing triangle. Uh, that is my right, her left which looked like a play button logo similar to the logo for YouTube. No doubt, they are putting out a lot of garbage on YouTube. And all of the M&Ms were black except for one in the middle, which was a copper color. She said uh, the lighter M&M represented her child, and it needed something to make it black like the others although I do not remember how she said she would do this. So she wanted her copper-colored child to be black like the others. Let me say Satanists have a thing for black. They do things in darkness. Uh, they don't want to be seen in the light. Uh, the light destroys them as it is now. They're, everybody's realizing who they are and um, you know, declassing them, and they're being killed around the world, by the way, by the Alliance. So this, this, this speaks of no light. Light represents God. Light represents Jesus Christ. But it's darkness and no light. Beyonce then turned to the girl on her left and said something to her that made her upset. Uh, it was witchcraft because... When she had said it to the young lady on her right, she became possessed and began convulsing in her seat uncontrollably. Well, let me say, all Satanists are factious. So when they speak faction, criticism, slander, and accusations to others, that person becomes demon-possessed like them. Beyonce was doing this one by one to each and every person at the table. Well, they feel like they have to do this. They have to make everybody a Satanist, right? 
whether they like it or not. She was taking control and letting them all know how things were going to go. And then I woke up. Well, all of these women are now subject to the principality in the speaker. Um, they can now be trafficked. Yes, sad to say. Um, I asked the Lord for a couple of texts by faith at random regarding this and received Isaiah 28, 1 through 4. Woe to the crown of pride of the drunkards of Ephraim. So those spiritual drunks uh, who worshipped a false god and factioned against their chosen brothers of Judah lost their crown. Their drunkenness is from the demons that they love so much. Going on with the text. And to the fading flower of his glorious beauty, which is on the head of the fat valley of them that are overcome with wine. They are overcome as with wine. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and a strong one. Will he cast down to the earth with the hand? Mm-hmm. The crown of pride of the drunkards of Ephraim shall be trodden underfoot. True. The faction lost their kingdom dominion. Uh, and the fading flower of his glorious beauty, which is on the head of the fat valley, the, the fleshly and lowly people, shall be as the first ripe fig before the summer, which when he, he that looketh upon it seeth it, while it is yet in his hand, he eateth it up. So the factious Satanists shall be devoured for their sins. Because they devour others, they will be devoured. Isaiah 3, 25 and 26. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet spices, there shall be rottenness. This is the curse upon them. Uncleanness. And instead of a girdle, a rope. Bondage. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. No submission to God, 1 Corinthians 11. And instead of a robe, a girding of sackcloth, mourning, grief, a curse, right? They bring it to themselves, their family, and their friends. Branding instead of beauty. Well, that's tattoos. They all love tattoos. Uh, Thy men shall fall by the sword. So you watch the Satanists fall all over the world as they are cast down out of heaven with their father. The alliance is slaughtering them. And the Christians are out there doing warfare against them. And the rest don't count. And thy mighty, excuse me, and thy mighty in the war. And her gates shall lament and mourn, and she shall be desolate and sit upon the ground. Okay, Satanists are coming to great disrepute without God, declassed, hated of all decent men. Nehemiah 1 and 7. And I'll use 7 through 9 in context. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, 
If you trespass, I will scatter you abroad among the peoples. The factious Satanists are on the run all over the world. Uh, for instance, General Eric M. Smith and the Special Forces are killing them because they are sadistic murderers, traffickers, and rapists of children and women all over the world. When they find them, they do them in. They are in full agreement with depopulation as long as it isn't them. Like in Maui, they depopulated their own leftist people because they don't have favorites. They don't care. If you're in their way, you can be their friend, so to speak, and still you're going to get slaughtered. But if you return unto me and keep my commandments and do them through your outcasts were in the uttermost parts of the heavens, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to cause my name to dwell there. Well, repent, and God will bring you to Zion the bride, a prize, a great prize in the days to come. Okay, we call this one, We Are in the Natural Realm, Seeing into the Spiritual. And God's promising to multiply this. This is Marie Kelton, 8-18-23. During the meeting, I had a vision of myself in my room sitting on my bed. And I saw what looked like a wall, but it was an opaque color. The Lord was standing next to the wall, and I knew that it was a veil that separated the spirit realm from the natural realm. The wall seemed to run parallel to the natural realm. Well, this is true. Time-wise, what happens uh, in the natural is caused by the hidden spiritual realm beyond the veil. Then suddenly the veil became clear, and I could see in the spiritual realm as easily as I could in the natural realm. Well, because uh, she could see the spiritual uh, uh, like it was physical, right? That would be pretty good, right? Well, that God gives people vision of that that kind, but I believe He's going to turn up this gift uh, drastically. And this is what our dreams and visions do. They show us what is actually happening that fleshly men in sin cannot see. That's why you see these uh, parables that we put up here that are given to us by God to reveal what's going on behind the scenes. I then had the same type of vision again, only it was an open vision during the meeting, and I saw the veil become clear. I couldn't tell the difference between two, the two anymore. That is the natural and the spiritual. So seeing the spirits, angels, and demons pulling the strings behind the scene uh, is what's being shown here. And although a person who cannot see this, all they have to do is to look at the fruit. For instance, you can always know who is doing what behind the scenes, even in the natural. Factious Satanists are of their father, the devil. As Jesus said, they without conscience, send witchcraft and lust demons into women so that they can rape them. They traffic babies and little girls for the same reason. They sacrifice humans to their God, Satan. 
They cannot cross the line and do what Christians and angels do because they're evil. They can't do good. They cannot do good. They can't get people saved. They do not. They don't heal. They don't deliver. They don't do miracles. They don't They don't provide for people because Satan can't cast out Satan. Now, the good people can do the good, but the bad people only do the bad. They only do the bad. Now, here's the thing. You can tell in the natural who's who. I had the thought that the spirit realm is going to become very visible and real. I agree. To simplify this, we who serve God as we walk in the natural realm will be able to see into the spiritual realm so Satan cannot hide his evil. He lays many traps to capture men in sin and curses. Proverbs 1 and 17 says, In vain is the net spread in the sight of any bird. Well, there you go. I mean, if you're seeing it going on, you know what's behind it. You can back away. You know, some people, they don't do that because they don't have that discernment. It also made me think of the witching hour where the powers of darkness are said to be the most powerful and more active in the natural realm. And, of course, they use ignorant Satanists at that time. They go out to do nasty things at the witching hour because they're nasty people. So, defeating faction and Jezebel is what we call this, and this was given to uh, Winnie Asagata, 6-29-23. This revelation is for all of the body, I believe, uh, to be aware of and to pray against all spirits and the influence of faction through doubt, unbelief, and Jezebel. So, Winnie said, I had a very intense dream of warfare against the Jezebel spirit. I dreamt that we were in an open space for fellowship, and David was sharing and teaching just like he does on Fridays. The area where we were having the meeting seemed to be a public space, like an airport, so there were a lot of different people that I did not recognize around us as well. Well, when we broadcast on Fridays, we, we reach out to a broader spectrum of people that are not seen, right? And that's by air, as in an airport, right? I went to go talk to uh, Gaynold and Debbie, and they both had a dream on the same night that a spirit of unbelief was present in my life. Well, uh, seeing into the spirit realm is very useful. As you can see, you can address a problem that may be hidden, right, and that I needed to come against. In the dream, it was confirmation to me because David also had shared the same thing. I was relieved and glad to receive the correction, and I confessed and repented for the unbelief and came against it. Yeah, Proverbs 19 and 20 says, Hear counsel and receive instructions that you, thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. I then began to worship the Lord and pray in tongues, and a, a dark, tan-skinned woman with black, collarbone-length hair began to come towards our fellowship with a knife. 
I began to come against the spirit of Jezebel and faction uh, in the woman and commanded it to go. I continued to pray in the spirit as she got closer and closer. So the Lord warns us by insight into the spirit realm when they are going to attack so that we can resist. Uh, the curse that is causeless alighteth not. Right? Amen. She was behind a short black gate at first and would throw this knife at different women to try and stab them with it. Well, Jezebel's weapon are words that uh, impart her spirit and attitudes and uh, a spirit that exudes from her uh, towards others, especially other women. Jezebel is most often in rebellion against the authority of the man, so they often try to bring other women into the fold uh, to undermine husbands or shepherds or bosses, right? And they also want to make feminists, you know, out of people, you know. Then she would uh, pick up the knife and throw it again at the next woman. I then saw that she was coming closer and closer towards me. And at this point, she hopped over the gate to get to me. And as I continued to pray in the spirit and, and war, she was becoming more and more angry because she was being affected by the warfare. Uh, NENT, 2 Corinthians 10 and 4. For the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God, and to the casting down of strongholds. Well, you have to know about a stronghold before you can cast it down, and that's what seeing into the spiritual realm does. As she was only feet away at this point, I felt tempted to feel fear, but I kept going because I knew she could not hurt me, and that the Lord was with me. Amen. In the NT, 2 Thessalonians 3 and 4. And we have confidence in the Lord as to you that you both do and will do the things which we command. Well, amen. That's what we should be considering uh, God's work, right? The woman with the Jezebel spirit then got close enough to stab me, but she could not. I was too quick, ducking her every move. She tried to stab me on my right side, I was so fast and jerked my body out of the way. Then she tried to stab uh, my left side, and I again was able to move my body quickly, and she could not get to me. Well, seeing into the spirit realm is a dream or a vision uh, which can help us not to come under that kind of a curse, right? Amen. Suddenly this woman was disarmed. And I had her weapon in my hand. She seemed to be very weak at this point and practically begged me to finish her off by grabbing my hand with the knife in it and cutting down the middle of her body just like you would gut a fish. This was very gruesome to watch, but I knew this was not enough. And I then took the knife and entered it upward into the woman's heart. Well, the Word of God can go into the heart of Jezebel and deliver them of their apostate heart. Um, Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For a living is the Word of God, 
and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Amen. So that's why we need to keep sharpened up, right, with the Word of God. Suddenly this woman was now a blonde, white woman with collarbone-length hair, and she was completely different. In other words, got delivered of Jezebel, right? She did not physically die, but the Jezebel in her did. Yes. Well, deliverance is a death to a part of self that will not allow Christ to grow. The two-edged sword of the Word cuts the enemy and the flesh. Once removed, it allows Christ to grow in them. She sat with us in the fellowship, and she was interested in the Lord and wanted to hear what David had to say. And then I woke up uh, very suddenly, two minutes before 3 a.m., which is the witching hour. And so I prayed in the Spirit and did warfare against unbelief and Jezebel, just like in the dream for our local body, as well as myself and my home. I wish more people would do that. I asked for a verse by faith at random and received 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-two, and 32-34 in context. If after the manner of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus, what doth it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived, evil companionships corrupt good morals. Awake to soberness righteously, and sin not, for some have no knowledge of God. And I speak this to move you to shame. Well, amen. Well, uh, we call this saints cast down the Satanists. It's your job to do this. We received this verse in the morning prayer meeting, the first thing by faith at random. And it speaks of our command to declass the Satanist faction. Ezekiel 40 and 4. And the man said unto me, Son of man, behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears, and set thy heart upon all that I shall show thee. For to the intent that I may show them unto thee, art thou brought hither. Declare all that thou seest to the house of Israel. Well, that's what we're doing. Yes, Lord, we are doing this. We are declassing the Satanists. We want everybody to know what they do and where it comes from when they see the symptoms, right? The key to the deliverance of the men, women, and children captive to pervert Satanists has been shown to be a judgment from God on the Satanists. And part of this he showed to be uh, the death of Kevin C. Ray, R-E-A, and his partner in perversion, uh, Eddie Brast, along with however many active Satanists God sees should go with them, because they have quite a few people with them. For they are, uh, they're all like them. Uh, they've received the same spirits into themselves. They did it for the purposes of selfish gain and lust and control over women and uh, so on and on. Some of them are pedophiles and bisexuals and impart this to as many as they can, even their own children. 
And this is part of the destruction of the Edomites by David, as in Ezekiel 34 and 35, who hated their brother, the chosen of God. The Edomites fought against their brother, and God used that as a reason to destroy them. This is also when Jesus in the man-child comes to claim the bride and their persecution is over, for they are prepared. Amen. Crucifixions come to an end, right? We received this text this morning by faith at random. Zephaniah three fourteen through 20 Sing, O daughter of Zion, that's the bride. Shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. So the Satanists who have persecuted them uh, are cast out because their job is over. The crucifixion of the bride is over. And uh, so that will be a great day for the bride. A bad day for the Satanists. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. So Jesus in the man-child has come to choose the bride. Thou shalt not fear evil any more. Why? Why would you need an evil? Why would you need anybody to put you on the cross? You've been matured, right? In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, O Zion, let not thy hands be slack. In other words, go to work to prepare the church for tribulation. Preach the good news, cast out demons, heal the sick, undo the damage of the Satanists, and on and on. 17. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee, a mighty one who will save. So Jesus and the man-child has come in the midst. And he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. So he receives the bride with joy. Amen. I will gather them that sorrow for the solemn assembly who were of thee, to whom the burden upon her was a reproach. So those who loved the Lord and the assembly were persecuted by the factious Satanists who hated both. They do. They want to tear down any... uh, assembly of God-believing Christians. The Satanists hate Christians, okay? Well, this group uh, particularly hate us, this local group, because uh, a lot of them came out of us. And, of course, they sucked in people all around, even grabbing people off the street. Yeah, grabbing women off the street. Behold, at that time I will deal with all them that afflict thee, In other words, he's going to judge the factious Satanists and set the captives free, as in Isaiah 61, which is the beginning of the man-child ministry, right? And the man-child will raise up and restore the bride as in Jesus' day. That's what Jesus did. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. That's what Jesus did. And I will save that which is lame and gather that which is driven away, and I will make them a praise and a name whose shame hath been in all the earth. Yeah, because of the slander of the Satanists and the apostates, right? Well, notice that God will give the bride a name, it said. The Philadelphia Church of Brotherly Love will receive that name, meaning the nature, character, and authority. That's what name means. 
and uh, the New Jerusalem and Jesus uh, will receive that name. They will receive the name of these. Right? Revelation 3.12 He that overcometh will I make him a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar is something that you better not move out of a temple. Right? And he shall go out thence no more. And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and mine own new name. All these names were on the Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. Right? What Philadelphia means. He that overcometh will I give to him to sit down with me in my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. True. Okay, back to our original text here, verse 20. At that time I will bring you in, and at that time I will gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I bring back your captivity before your eyes, says the Lord. So the Lord is going to bring back those who have been taken captive. The captives are set free from spiritual and physical death as at the resurrection of Jesus. Isaiah 61 and 1, which we mentioned before. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. That's the first uh, order given to the man-child ministry. And the first thing they do is slaughter the Edomites, according to Scripture, and set the captives free. So I asked Father when this takedown of the Satanists would happen. And I opened my Bible and looked down on these words alone. Quote, When Babylon falls to Cyrus. So when will this takedown happen? When Babylon falls to Cyrus, whom we know to be Trump. And, and that's happening. It is happening. And that's the whole note in this margin of my Bible. That's what I looked down on. The margin of my Bible, that was the first thing I looked down on when I flopped the Bible open. And uh, it was right next to, that note was right next to Isaiah 47. The number 47 was there. Babylon in uh, the deep state and the, the factious Satanists will lose its dominion as far as their authority uh, from the principalities and powers of the air. As Daniel said of the authority of the beast kingdoms, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged. How do you explain, you know, the, the dragon falling at the beginning of the tribulation when he's, the, the uh, Babylon is still there at the end? And that's because the dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged meaning people with uh, factious and Satanist spirits will go into the tribulation to test the church. Did you hear what I said? It ain't over. See, somebody's got to teach the church, and they've got to have the experience to do that. That's why we're doing this. And, uh, of course, these Satanist spirits going into the tribulation to test the church uh, was to do the same thing for them. That's a crucifixion. 
And as we will see, it is the saints' job to cast these demons and their father, Satan, down. It's the saints' job. It is your job to do this. As a type of our day, Jesus, the man-child, said when his disciples came back from a great victory over Satan and his demons. He said in Luke ten seventeen through 19 And the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan fallen as lightning from heaven. In other words, they were casting down his kingdom, his ability to rule over people. Verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions, those are all types of demons, and over all the power of the enemy, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. As if you believe, right? Isaiah fourteen twelve through 20 says, How art thou fallen, fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground? that didst lay low the nations. They certainly did that. Uh, Satan, through his Satanists, have corrupted mankind. And thou saidest in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Notice which ones that they can be torn down. It's the star glory. And I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. That's what they all lust to do. Every one of the factious leaders wanted to take over UBM. They wanted to be in authority. I, I asked the first one, I said, what would you do if you did take over UBM? You're not a teacher. And that was true. He didn't argue with me there. Uh, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the uttermost parts of the north. Their father and their huge ego pushes them to take over UBM. But they failed, and they have only gotten those that are theirs, which is good for us. Anybody that can be tempted and drawn away by these evil people, obviously, are evil. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Yes, that's what they want to be, God over you. They have taken the place of God as the judges of the brethren and the accusers of the righteous. And for this they are under the curse and, uh, and the age. Notice that they age so much faster than we do. Anytime you see one of them, you'll see that. Wow, what happened there? Uh, Kevin didn't really want to bring Bill up here one day to bring back some stuff that they had. Uh, but Bill forced him to come on up here and do it. And Bill saw me and he said, wow. You look so much younger. I, 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 I haven't gotten any younger, and I don't look any younger. I just did not age like he did and like Kevin did, and all of them. And they're poor women. Uh, listen, women, get out of it. You're, you're aging twice your, as fast as everybody around you. Look and see. That's part of the curse. Yet thou shalt be brought down to Sheol, to the uttermost parts of the pit. They that see thee shall gaze at thee. They shall consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, 
that made the world as a wilderness. There you go, wilderness. The whole world's about to be a wilderness. They're starting to burn down now, right? And overthrow the cities thereof. Yeah. Like Maui in Ukraine, where General Eric Smith and the Marines and the Special Forces are killing them for the evil that they have done. I'm talking about they are taking out the Satanists wherever they see them in those places. And they have invaded uh, the National Guard. They've invaded the cops. They're the ones killing the people, shooting the ones that escape and burying them or throwing them in the water. Uh, yeah. So they're catching these people and doing them in. So that let not loose his prisoners to their home. Yep, their captives will be set free by Jesus in the man child. They have not let them loose. Isaiah 61, we just read it. And all the kings of the nations, all of them, sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But thou art cast forth away from thy sepulcher, like an abominable branch. Yes, they are. Clothed with the slain that are thrust through with the sword, that go down to the stones of the pit as a dead body trodden underfoot. Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial, because thou hast destroyed thy land. Thou hast slain thy people. That's what Satanists do. In Maui, who are they killing? Mostly leftist Democrat people. That's what they're killing, almost all of it. They don't care about killing their own people if it furthers their process, you know. So Maui is a blue state where the Satanists are killing liberals, their own people, to steal their land. You you trust the blue? (laughs) Look, people are learning now to get out of blue cities because they can't handle money. None of them can handle money, but they do handle it into their pocket. The seed of evildoers shall not be named forever. Well, Kevin's uh, leadership has destroyed these Satanists, tempting them with the lusts of the flesh and bringing them into all perversion. Um, sad to say, but um, he's destroyed his own people. Many would say, well, the fall of the Satanists doesn't look like it's coming as fast as the Lord told us it would. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're seeing signs. The the verse immediately before the number 47, you know, which was our answer, uh, is Isaiah 46, 13. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off. There you go. And my salvation shall not tarry. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. So, the, first of all, the man-child is coming to uh, Zion. He is birthed in Zion. And uh, that is for the purpose of bringing the rest of the church in. So the salvation is the Lord in Zion. Nothing... Uh, well, you can notice that it, it will happen quickly and God will save his people from these evil people and their demons. The next verse is all about the declass of all their evil, whose shame will be forever. Verse 3, Thy nakedness shall be uncovered 
Oh, that's what we're doing. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and will spare no man. Amen. If that's not enough, the text of 47 is absolutely amazing too. (laughs) Isaiah 47 and 8. Now therefore hear this, thou that art given to pleasures, that's all they do, please their flesh. If they can't find a woman, they'll do it themselves. Yes, right. Uh, Representing uh, their lust to fornicate, trafficked women and children, um, attack our young women in the night to molest them in their sleep, steal all they can, uh, get their hands on, slander the righteous, judge anyone who doesn't agree with their perversion, etc., etc., etc. So that sitteth securely, that saith in thy heart, I am, and there is none else besides me. That's the way they act. You're nothing. They are the cream of the crop, but they are the lowest scum on the earth. Okay. They care for the needs of no one but their own selfish flesh. They have no power to save, heal, and deliver, but only to destroy. Satan can't cast out Satan. I shall not sit as widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. Well, that's what they think. But we're about to see differently, and we are seeing differently. But these two things shall come to thee in a moment, in one day. Once again, it will come fast. Okay. The loss of children and widowhood. Yes, they are losing their children. And um, the um, Alliance is doing their best to wipe them out. One of the places they started was the Vatican and the Cardinals. And the Pope, yes, the Pope that they have in there now is a fake Pope. And the Cardinals were wiped out almost. So, And that's why uh, molesting children, sacrificing children, doing all these dirty, filthy, nasty things that Satanists do. Satanism took them over. The loss of children, widowhood, in their full measure shall they shall come upon thee. In the multitude of thy sorceries. Yes. This is the same word for witchcraft, which uh, Satanists are famous for around the world. And the great abundance of thine enchantments. Enchantments? Meaning uh, sending many curses to others, which come back to curse them, because what you sow, you reap. You can look at them and tell it. I see. I actually see some of these people with like a dark cloud around them. They're shaded. Um, some are reprobated, and the elect, of course, will escape from it and tell the tale. Some of them have. You know, Psalm 109, uh, 18 through 20 says, He clothed himself also with cursing as with his garment, and it came into his inward parts like water, and like oil into his bones. Well, we know that our, bone, our bones are where our life's blood comes from, and oil would destroy that. Yeah. Let it be unto him as the raiment wherewith he covereth himself, and for the girdle wherewith he is girded continually. In other words, their curse is all over these people. And their proud mind, you know, sets them, uh, you know, at the um, head of the food chain. 
This is the reward of mine adversaries from the Lord and of them that speak evil against my soul. All right, back to our original text, Isaiah 47 and 10. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, none seeth me. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We are being watched. And by the way, the angels see everything, and they will report it to the righteous. Yes. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thy heart, I am, and there is none else besides me. So Kevin started studying psychology and psychiatry and forsook the Bible, as all Satanists are compelled to do. He then sent Eve out to preach his demonic gospel that can't save her or anyone else. But it can pervert him because he imparted demons. She imparted demons to people. Verse 11. Therefore shall evil come upon thee. And a little further. And mischief shall fall upon thee. And thou shalt not be able to put it away. And desolation shall come upon thee suddenly. Suddenly. Uh, which thou knowest not. But we know what the judgments are, and I've already revealed them to you. So, verse 12 says, Stand now with thine enchantments, and with the multitude of thy sorceries, wherein thou hast labored from thy youth, if so be that thou shalt be able to profit, if so be that thou mayest prevail. What is God saying? He's saying, Let's see if your curses will save you. Or will they destroy you? Yes. Verse 14. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be a coal to warm at, nor a fire to sit before. Thus saith the things be unto thee wherein thou hast labored, They that have trafficked with thee from thy youth shall wander every one to his quarter. There shall be none to save thee. So obviously their uh, curses only kill them. Let me say to you, Kevin, because I know you watch all this, um, you have trafficked others, and now you have sold yourself to your father the devil. Notice that those who trafficked with you will scatter. Why? Because your death and others at the same time will be obviously a judgment from God, proving that we are who He says we are. For we have told you, Annette, of this for years, and you scoffed. In fact, we have been told by the Lord that some of these who escape will come to us and repent and tell the whole perverted story of Kevin, Eddie, and the Satanists. But then it's got, God is already doing that, isn't He? Yes. He is looking into the spirit realm and bringing pictures out for us. So let's get back to when Kevin, Eddie, and associates will die. The answer was, When Babylon falls to Cyrus, uh, who we know as Trump, 
General Eric is even now taking down Satanists everywhere he goes. And we see from Revelation 12 that the dragon is Satan, but it is also the god of Babylon. Now become the deep state, which is ruled by his fallen angels who inhabit primarily the Satanists. That's right. Kevin's Satanist cult is part of them. It's obvious that the dragon is uh, the one in this text who seeks to devour the man-child and the woman. And Kevin believes and has stated that this is his job. But he is failing to accomplish it, which is the only thing biblical that he adheres to, failing. He uh, sent a demon to kill me just days ago, but an angel who sees all stopped him. How many times you have tried and failed by the grace of God given to me, Kevin. Yeah. Kevin, take notice in this text that you and your daddy are losers. If you would have paid attention to this text, you wouldn't have wasted your time. Revelation twelve three through 17 And there was seen another sign in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his heads... Seven diadems. Well, notice that within the body of this dragon is the whole earth. Ooh. The seven world ruling kingdoms. And their seed today. Because each one of those ruled for a a season, then their uh, authority was taken down, but they were prolonged in their seed. And so we have all the seed of the seven world ruling kingdoms with us today, multiplied. And uh, the ten continental divisions of the earth. So you have all the people and all the area. The whole earth. Um. Kevin would be proud to know that he is not in the body of this dragon. He's in the head, the part trying to devour the man, child, and bride. And his tail draweth a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. So as a head of a body, he is guilty of the blood of the star glory saints. He, that he has been able to cast down, which puts him in the very lowest level of hell, I'm sure, right next to his dad. And the dragon standeth before the woman that is about to be delivered, that when she is delivered, he may devour her child. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, Satanists do devour children. And she was delivered of a son, a man-child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and unto his throne. Well, there's a big oops. He slipped through Kevin's fingers again, just as Jesus slipped through Satan's fingers. So he fails again, and his dad is real mad at him for eternity. That's not good. You're going down there next to him, and he's mad at you. So the Lord told me that uh, Kevin's secret plan is to 
prosecute me just as the GCR happens. You know, to keep me busy, right? Out of the way. Sound familiar? Yes, Satan plans to prosecute Trump with spurious slander so he can't get elected. But guess what? The man-child's already elected. He's already here. And yes, he is going to have domain. And some people who plan to do such things are going to die. So, the thing about what they're doing with Trump is it's so stupid, everybody's admitting it's stupid. Even the leftists are admitting it's stupid because they're going to put him up there on the stand. He's going to be able to declass the deep state dragon in court before the whole world. Liberals are not smart. It's a disease, many have said, and it's, it's got to be true. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that there they may nourish her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. There you go. There you're starting the tribulation. So all of the above falling of Satan and his Satanist demons happens before the first three and a half years of the tribulation of the woman church. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels going forth to war with the dragon, and the dragon warred and his angels. These are, of course, demons who rule over the duped Satanists who think that he is God and that they are smart. Yeah. And they prevailed not. So, Kevin, you should have read the Bible and you wouldn't have wasted your time, just like your dad when he crucified Jesus to uh, fulfill every good thing that came afterwards. And you know what? Uh, You've done the same thing, Kevin. Your uh, assassination of uh, righteous people, your crucifixion of righteous people has raised up something that's going to be very valuable in the tribulation. Yeah, the church is going to need it very badly. I received this several times about these men. Uh, Psalm 21, 10 through 12. Their fruit wilt thou destroy from the earth. Oh, praise be to God. And their seed from among the children of men. For they intended evil against thee. Aha. They conceived a device which they are not able to perform. That's where my finger was. Hmm. For thou wilt make them turn their back. Thou wilt make ready with thy bowstrings against their face. I guess they would turn their back. Again in verse 8, And they prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. So they were cast down. So let me say, Kevin, I worked on you for many years with grace and patience with many witnesses until you kept on stalking our women. And they kept on having dreams about it, identifying you. And the Lord said, that he has rejected you and Eddie and the rest of those perverts. Psalm 53 and 5, there were, there were they in great fear where no fear was, for God has scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee, the Satanists. Thou hast put them to shame because God hath rejected them. This is where I put my finger. God hath rejected them. I asked him about them, and I, and I opened my Bible and I stuck my finger on it. God hath rejected them. So, uh, 
and I was asking by faith at random. So, rejected here means reprobated. Both this revelation and the one below it show Kevin and Eddie's death were removed from the Sunday broadcast. Both of these two texts were removed from our Sunday's broadcast because Kevin hacked into my computer and took only those out of the text. He did not want to hear about his death, so he took it out of the text of the broadcast. But the angel Baruch, who was watching them along with all the other angels, uh, told me that Kevin hacked in through the Wi-Fi and removed them because we were curious about how he got in. But he came, and we had a pretty good, you know, uh, password too, a pretty good difficult password, but he had enough time to learn to do it. And he removed them. So I just put them right back in there, and they were in the broadcast. Why would God's angels tell on Kevin? And his demon didn't even warn him, because the demons don't see everything. They're only allowed to see certain things, but the angels can see it all. How can you beat angels who see and know everything? Just days ago, he sent a demon to kill me again. And my guardian angel stopped him by a miracle. Michael Hare saw it. He was amazed. I was too. (laughs) I'll tell you about it one day. So why are the angels and their God against Kevin? Hmm. Why are they the intelligence for the people of God. So as I wrote this, I received this vision in my email. (laughs) At that time, I received this in my email, August 18th, 2023. During the morning prayer meeting, I was asking the Father if He could grant Kevin repentance to be like a Paul. Well, we've all prayed this. Uh, I then said to the Father, because he's going to hell in a handbasket because she could see, of course, that he was just falling away and doing evil, corrupt things worse than she'd ever seen when he was in our midst. So, after I said that, I had an open vision of a round, black, wicker handbasket that had a handle going across it. A black cord was tied to the basket. I saw a demon lowering the basket by the black cord into a fiery hell slowly. I knew Kevin was in the handbasket. I then saw the arm of the Lord who had black scissors in his hand. The Lord reached out and cut the black cord that was attached to the basket, and the basket descended faster and faster into the fiery hell. Well, Satanists all know about the silver cord when their soul goes out to molest women and children in the night. And when God snaps their cord of life, it's all over for them because he does do that. And they find themselves in outer darkness. (laughs) And the great dragon was cast down, the old serpent, He that is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was cast down to the earth and his angels 
who have ruled the earth as these Satanist demons, were cast down with him. And those who take part in this deception will be in hell forever with those that they have deceived, which is not a pretty picture for the deceivers. And I heard a great voice in heaven saying, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Now, who is accusing the brethren of Jesus? The Satanists, the factionists, uh, these are doing it. They think that they've been given to judge. They sit as God over the congregation. <laughs> That's what they think. So this is the fall of Babylon, Deep State, and Kevin, Eddie, and many others who die and lose their accuser license. Who accuseth them before our God day and night, it says. So there are a lot of Satan Jr. accusers out there who have made themselves judges, and our Jesus said that they would be judged. That's what he said. They can't find a sin but they don't mind being hypocrites with the nastiest sin I've ever seen. Uh, hypocrisy does not enter their mind that they're doing much worse than anything they're accusing anybody else of. Now get this, saints. Who is it that is responsible to bring down these seducers and murderers of mankind? Verse 11, And they overcame him... Because of the blood of the Lamb, that's because Jesus shed His blood for us and became cursed for us, we have the authority over all the power of these enemies. And because of the word of their testimony, in other words, because of our good confession of the gospel of the word of God, which is the power of God unto salvation, we have been saved out of the hand of the wicked these Judases that persecute us. And they love not their life even unto death. See, the thing about Satanists is they only love that life that pleases their flesh. And they won't give it up. Those who take up their cross of death to self will walk as Jesus walked in heavenly places. And therefore rejoice, O heavens, and ye that dwell in them. So if we have learned to be truly seated with Christ in heavenly places, there is safety and peace. And these will cast down Satan and his dominion-possessed, his uh, demon-possessed uh, Satanists. What can you also do biblically about Satanists capturing our sisters with slander, witchcraft, voodoo, and lust spirits and raping them? What can we do about this? Well, he tells us, Luke eighteen seven and 8, Shall not God avenge his elect that cry to him day and night? Do that. Cry to him day and night. For the people who can't cry for themselves. Do that. And yet he is long-suffering over them. Okay. I say unto you that he will avenge them speedily. So, 
The vengeance of the Lord will take down the Satanists. You can see that vengeance in Jesus when he comes back with his white garment and stains it with the blood of the Edomites. He doesn't let up. He slaughters them because of the great evil that these people do. So, the Lord's going to take down the Satanists for those who fight the good fight of the faith uh, for the captured people. Don't be selfish, saints. Go to work with diligence. Cast down the demons of the Satanists. I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. He gave you authority. Do it. Cast them down. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Woe for the earth and for the sea. Well, this represents the peoples of the nations, the sea, as in Revelation. Because the devil is gone down unto you, having great wrath, knowing that he hath but a short time. So he has a short time to crucify the church before they are matured too. And he has to leave them alone too, for they are not under the curse. The quicker you get there, go there quickly, because the quicker you get there, uh, the quicker he can't touch you. And when the dragon saw that he was cast down to the earth, he persecuted the woman that brought forth the man-child. Well, notice that the dragon's attention is no longer on the man-child and the bride, but on the woman church. Now is when these lessons learned by the bride uh, concerning Satanists and their wickedness will help the church overcome in their tribulation as in this, this verse. And there were given to the woman the two wings of the great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness unto her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and a half a time from the face of the serpent. Yes, God has certain places where he's going to train up the church and send them out two by two, you know. He's going to send them out. Well, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, when the man-child Jesus taught the church to prepare them for the great persecution coming in the second three and a half years, right? And the serpent cast out of his mouth after the woman water as a river that he might cause her to be carried away by the stream. Well, just as the man-child Jesus is coming again to give the people the living waters of truth, so Satan will tempt them with the death waters of deception, including the mark of the beast. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the river which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Well, notice that he is the deceiver of the whole world, quote-unquote. And uh, he cast this, uh, this dirty water out of his mouth to take the whole world. And the, wagon, and the dragon uh, waxed wroth with the woman. So at this point, they are trained and able to resist him, so he will flee. He was wroth with the woman and went away to make war with the rest of her seed. So they couldn't, uh, the dragon could not touch the woman, but the rest of her seed, the grandchildren of the man-child, 
the fruit of the woman uh, that keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. It says, Get to work, saints. Romans 16, 17, and 18 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that are causing the divisions and occasions of stumbling, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and turn away from them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Christ, but their own belly. And by their smooth and fair speech, they beguile the hearts of the innocent. You mean they've captured some innocent? Yes. And I have no doubt that some of these need that capture and that humbling, and they'll come out of it better. Okay. Get to work, saints. Bind their demons of witchcraft, slander, faction, criticism, seduction, acting, hatred, accusations, deception, rape, so on and so forth. Bind it with one accord, as we were told by the Lord. There's power in your multitudes, right? Send angels to destroy the powers of their principalities and powers. Decree righteousness and purity to those that they have defiled and sinned against. Declare freedom to the captives, which is coming. Well, we went a little bit over, but I guess the Lord will forgive me. The Lord bless you all, and thank you so much. God bless you. Please do this warfare. Please do it now. In Jesus' name, and do it consistently. They are uh, murdering people around the world. Bring them down. Bring them down. Thank you. God bless. Good night. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, that went to the cross and defeated the enemy and gave us eternal life available to us and I praise you for that Father and I ask and I pray Lord that today we know that Satan is defeated and we are the victors and I thank you Lord that uh, you would anoint us to get out this message today about Satan being defeated and how to renew our mind and I praise you and I glorify you Father for the work that you're going to do today in us through these words. Thank you, Father. Glory be to God. Well, that's what I want to talk about today is Satan defeated and the renewed mind. You know, throughout Christianity today, very few have recognized the fact that the Bible teaches us that Satan is defeated as far as we are concerned, as far as the believer is concerned, he was not conquered by the believer. He was conquered by Jesus for the believer in his substitutionary work. And the victory Christ finished belongs to the believer because we were identified with Christ in his substitutionary work. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And back when Christ hung on the cross, in the mind of justice, every one of us hung there too. We were identified with him because he was our substitute. He was taking our place in order that he might redeem us out of the hand of the enemy. We were with him when he died 
for we died with him. We were with him when he left his body. We were with him in his great agony while he suffered the penalty that was due to us. He was in the prison house of death. Satan was his keeper, and the horror of it will never be known. Jesus bore himself, and Jesus stayed there until he satisfied all the claims of justice for us. Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 said, Who was delivered up on account of our trespasses? That is, he was delivered up to death, spiritual death. He was delivered up to judgment, and he was delivered up to pay the penalty that we owed justice. And when the claims of justice were satisfied, then we were justified with Christ, glory to God. And that is the reason every unsaved man has a legal right to eternal life because he was legally justified with Christ in that great substitutionary work. And then Jesus was born again. You remember in the scriptures in Acts chapter 13, verse 33, he said, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. That was the day of our redemption. Now, I'd like to pause here just a bit and call your attention to this one fact. You remember when Jesus entered the Holy of Holies with his blood? He had just come out of hell. And when the Father justified him, he was so justified that he could stand in the Father's presence without the slightest bit of condemnation. And like the three Hebrew children... When they came out of that fiery furnace, there wasn't a bit of a smoke smell or fire smell on their garments. There was no smell on the garments of our Lord either. You know what that shows us? If Jesus could go out of there and go into the presence of the Father, you and I can go out of this world ruled by spiritual death. And we who have received eternal life can go into the presence of the Father without the sense or the smell of spiritual death upon us. As soon as Jesus was made alive in spirit, then Colossians 2 chapter 15 became a reality. It says, having put off from himself the principalities and the powers He made show of them openly. And right there in the presence of all the hosts of darkness, Jesus conquered the prince of darkness. Hebrews 2.14 in one translation is graphic. This is real good. I liked it. He paralyzed the death-dealing power of Satan. He paralyzed him. He broke him. Now, this is what I want you to notice. This was an eternal victory. Satan was eternally broken and eternally conquered. Now, did you notice how Peter put it? In 1 Peter 5 and 8, he said, he goes about like a roaring lion. And then he says, who withstand steadfast in your faith. Our war has been fought and won. There ain't a battle for you to fight except a battle of faith. 
and you're to fight the good fight of faith. What does that mean? Well, you're supposed to win all your victories with words. You are to learn the words of the word of God, and with words you will conquer your enemy. All that Peter said to the sick man at the beautiful gate was this. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And that man was set free right then. That's in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. That's that whole story. He didn't lay hands on him. He didn't pray over him. He simply healed that man with his words. And that's the way Jesus healed him. He healed him with his words. And that's the way the Father created the universe, with his words. You conquered the adversary with words. Today, you comfort the weak and the broken with your words. You heal the sick with words. Now, when I read in Isaiah 53, 4, it says this. He says, surely he hath borne my sicknesses, carried my diseases, and I have come to esteem him as the one who was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted with my diseases. Then I knew that by his stripes I was healed. What healed me? Words healed me. Now you can understand Psalms 107.20 when it says he sent his word and healed them. It isn't prayer. It isn't laying on of our hands. That may be necessary among some people in Christ, but for the man that's grown up into the full stature of the knowledge of his rights and privileges, the word heals him. When provisions are needed, I call my father's attention to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, which says, My God shall supply every need of yours. And he did it according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, this combat is not against flesh and blood. And that's what the Spirit tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. But it is against the defeated principalities and powers. These principalities and powers have all, every one of them, been conquered. Their defeat is spoken of in Hebrews 9 and 12 as an eternal redemption from them. You are eternally set free. Praise God forevermore. Now, let's talk a little bit about the renewed mind. You know, when you're born again, your spirit is recreated. It receives the nature and life of the Father. But the mind that has held your spirit in captivity is that same old mind. It receives a mighty force when the spirit receives eternal life. But that's all. And you understand that all the knowledge that the mind had comes from our five senses and the senses can never be renewed they're part of our physical body they can brought they can be brought into subjection and they can be controlled but they can't be renewed the spirit's recreated it's new but the mind this brain of ours that receives its knowledge from the five senses can be brought into subjection to the word it can be purified by meditation in the word. 
Now, I don't mean purified like the blood of Christ just cleanses, but I mean that it drops off much of that unnecessary and unwise foolishness that we have a lot of time. In itself, it might not be harmful, but it is unnecessary. It takes up time. The mind slowly but surely, as it feeds on the Word, meditates in the Word, practices and lives the Word or does the Word, comes into the fellowship of the recreated Spirit. In Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, we've got one of the most important scriptures in regard to the physical body and its thinking process. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service. Now, notice this real careful. He is asking you to present your body, which holds the five senses. That, that's the most important part of your body. The seeing part, the hearing part, the feeling part, the tasting part, and the smelling parts. That's the five channels to the brain over which travel all the impulses that have taught the brain all that it knows. Now he says, I want you to give this home of your five senses to the Lord. And I want you to lay that body of yours, as it were, upon the altar. And as the Jew laid a dead offering upon the altar, you're supposed to lay your living body upon the altar in the sense that you are dedicating it, giving it over to the Lordship of the Word. Then he says in the second verse, he said, And be not fashioned according to this age, but be ye transformed or transfigured by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Your mind has been fashioned after the things of this world. The world's ideals probably have been yours. And now your mind must come under the dominion of your recreated spirit through the Word. Your mind must recognize the threefold lordship through your recreated spirit. And that's the lordship of the Word, the lordship of Jesus, and the Lordship of love. And it might be difficult for your mind to assimilate this. To allow love to become a part of yourself. To allow the word to utterly dominate yourself. And to recognize the love Lordship of Jesus. Now I know how hard that is. But that must come or else the believer is going to live on the borderline. Between right and wrong. Never knowing. Whether this is wrong or that is wrong. And he'll be out there asking his friends, is it wrong to do this? Reckon I ought to do that? Well, the reason is his mind has never been renewed and he is living on the borderline as some sort of semi-spiritual darkness. But as his mind is renewed, he'll come to know the will of the Father. He'll walk in the light of the Word. And he'll get to know that threefold will, the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of the Father. And he 
will be claiming the highest will of the Father. And he won't be satisfied with the acceptable and the good, but will want the perfect and the well-pleasing will of the Father. Glory to God. In John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to my Father. This new creation man craves that kind of life. How many of you crave it? His spirit is reaching out. And sometimes it's really agonizing in him to become well-pleasing to the Father. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10, he unvo- he's unveiling the inner workings of the senses and their control of the mind. Read it carefully. He says, for which things sake comes the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. He shows us the uncleanness of the natural mind as it is dominated by the senses. And in the ninth verse, he's speaking to you. He said, I don't want you to lie to one another anymore since you have put off that old man with his doing. You see, because you are a new creation and you put on the new man and that's being renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And this is a message to the new convert primarily. Listen to this. Old believers have already done this thing. He wants that new man to be brought into perfect harmony with his thinking faculties. And that can't be until his mind is renewed, until it comes to recognize its position in Christ. And if you'll notice, it said, put on the new man that is being renewed in knowledge after the image of him. That's our revelation knowledge. You will know your responsibilities and your ability to meet them. You see, the small faith man is almost invariably a man whose mind has not yet been renewed. And if you find a believer that doesn't walk in love, it's because his mind hadn't been renewed yet. His mind can't be renewed by simply studying the Bible. He's going to have to live it. It has to become a part of his mind. Many of our Bible teachers today never have seen this. And that has their senses They have their senses govern their mind. That means their senses govern their teaching, that the recreated spirit has a very small place in their life. And that's where all the apostasy comes from. They live by the senses rather than by the spirit. Second Corinthians 4 16 says, Wherefore we faint not, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. The inward man is your spirit that is feeding on the word, that is being renewed continually. And your mind should feed on the word too. There should be meditation in the word. You remember in Joshua 1 and 8, the Lord told him that he was to meditate in the word day and night, that he might observe to do according to all there is, that there is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now the same rule 
that God laid down for Joshua, that ought to govern the new creation also. This new man who has the mind of Christ. Now, another scripture that will help you a lot is uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. He has prepared you to walk in his will. His ability has been given to you. His strength is at your disposal. And the good deeds that he would have you perform are within the range of your ability. And that's the ability that he has given to you. He expects you to pray for the sick folks. You will teach the word. You'll witness to the unsaved. You'll walk in love. And you'll walk in the light of the word and be a blessing to those around you because your mind now is in perfect harmony with that new recreated spirit. And the new commandment that you love one another has become the very heart life of your conduct and your walk today. Every real father desires to reproduce himself in his son. And the Father's dream is to reproduce himself in us. Now you understand that the new creation himself has received the nature and the life of the Father. We invite the Holy Spirit who has imparted to us this nature from the Father to come into our body and make his home in us. And then as we begin to feed on the word, practice the word, and live the word, he builds that word into us. And the very genius of Christianity is the ability of God to build himself into us through the word so that in our daily walk we live like the master. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says, Be ye therefore imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love even as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. And as children of love, We are to walk in love as Christ walked in love toward the world. The Father so loved the world that he gave his Son. Jesus so loved the world that he gave himself. Now I so love the world that I give myself. And I don't allow my heart to grow bitter toward it. No matter what the criticism or the persecutions might come. Whenever I am inclined to say, well, I'm wasting my time on him. I can remember what Paul and Silas did at Philippi. They were arrested and they had been whipped until their back, their backs were just a hamburger of bleeding flesh. And then they were put into a dungeon with their hands and feet in stocks. And in the midst of all that agony, that physical distress, you know what they did? They prayed and sang praises to the Lord. They so stirred heaven that the father had to open the jail. And when the earthquake had so frightened the jailer that he cried out in agony of fear, Paul preached to him with that bleeding back. And the jailer found Jesus, glory to God. Then he washed the backs of Paul and Silas. And you know what? A church was formed in the home of the jailer right then. 
If Paul had any other spirit, he could never have done it. But he was like his master. He gave himself up to the dominion, the lordship of love. Glory to God, the Father wants to produce himself in us. Did you hear me? The Father wants to reproduce himself in us. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19 says, My little children, of whom I am again in travail until Christ be formed in you. Glory to God. The process of building Christ into one might be slow, but it makes Jesus men and it makes Jesus women out of us. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are his creation. And until Christ is formed in us, the world can't see anything but religion in us. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The Father is actually building his love life, his righteousness, his strength, and his wisdom into our spirits, glory to God. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 said, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know what? Grace means love at work. The Spirit longs for us to grow in this love life, to have the love nature of Jesus demonstrated in our daily walk. And I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that only as we yield ourselves to the Lordship of love can he ever build himself into us. It's not knowledge of the scriptures. I, I might have a, a, a real large, vast knowledge of the word. That ain't it. It's the word that is built into me and becomes a part of me that counts. And as you study Paul's revelations, you become convinced that the ultimate of every one of those epistles is the building of the Jesus life in each individual. And his plan for building himself into us, folks, is immense. We must take Jesus' place and learn to act in his stead. There must be the conscious training of our spirits to be his actual representatives. Colossians 1 chapter, Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 12 gives us an indication of the passion of the Father to make himself known to us in such a real way that we can enter into all the riches of the fullness of his life that belongs to us. Now here's a prayer of the Spirit through the lips of Paul in Colossians chapter 1. And this is verses 9 through 11. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray and make requests for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding to walk worthily of the Lord unto all pleasing, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power 
according to the might of his glory, unto all patience and long-suffering with joy. Did you know that the word knowledge in the Greek is epignosis? I can't hardly say that. Epignosis. It means full knowledge, complete knowledge, exact knowledge. We ought to have that kind of knowledge, for it is in this revelation. We have the Holy Spirit who inspired it as our teacher. He has never left his position as an instructor. He's still there. He's here in my heart. He's in your heart. And he longs to fill us with the exact knowledge of the Father's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We're supposed to have a knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. And that's a deeper insight into the very heart of the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10 will throw some light upon this. It says this. It says, things which I saw not, the ear heard not, and which entered not into the heart of man, whatsoever things God prepared for them that love him. And these are revealed to us today in this revelation through the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is able to search all things. Yea, the deep things of God. And our recreated spirit is enabled to follow the Holy Spirit in this searching of the riches of his grace. And most of these riches are in Paul's revelations in the epistles. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, we catch a glimpse of where Paul said, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, was this grace given, to preach unto the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. These unsearchable riches belong to us. But just like pearls, we got to search for them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, For who among men knows the things of man? Save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God none knows save the spirit of God. Now, note this very carefully. This next verse in verse 12 says, But we received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that were freely given to us of God. Verse 13, Which things also we speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Spirit teaches. And we're learning this great truth with the aid of the Holy Spirit. And we find that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, this knowledge of his will. And all spiritual wisdom and understanding is to enable us to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Our walk is before the world. And you can say that's a twofold walk. One phase of it is before the Father, and the other is before the world. I'm supposed to walk worthy of the Lord before men so that they can recognize this new life in me. How many of you long to be so full of Jesus that people will become Jesus conscious in your presence? Boy, I do. I want them to know that Jesus is with me. Christ magnified in my body, said Paul. 
Christ made large in my daily walk. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he said, For me, for to me, to live is Christ. And here's what the Lord's saying to us. I want to be magnified in you. I want to absorb your personality. I want to take possession of your dreams and ambitions. I want the first place in your life. And folks, don't be afraid of it. Some of you are speaking out there right now and say, Lord, I don't dare let you have control of me. For if I do, I'll never achieve the things which I am so ambitious of. And then you'll hear this voice in your heart say this. I love you more than you love yourself. I am more ambitious for your success than you are. And I have the ability to put you over, glory to God. And then you can say back to the Lord, Lord, don't make me preach in the streets. You might send me down there into the slums. I don't want to go there, Lord. And you struggle and you struggle. But he's tender. The Lord is tender with you. His wisdom becomes so apparent. And often in our extremities, he helps us. And when we get into difficulties and circumstances, he'll lift us out. And then one day, we're going to submit and say, Master, I'll go with you. Here I am. Take all of my ability. Swallow up my ambition with your own, but give me love like your love. Glory to God. Help me to so live that men can see you in me. Feel you. That when I speak, it will be your voice. And when I lay hands on a sick, it will be your hands. And then I heard a scripture in Galatians 2 and 20. It says it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith which is in your master who loved me. And gave himself up for me. And then we might say this. Now Lord I trust you. And I give myself up to you. Because you see when we come quietly in our heart life. To the place where we say yes to him. Then he reveals himself in us. It's not forced upon us. He doesn't drive us. He doesn't force us with sickness or the loss of property. The sickness comes because we're not aware that he can shield us from that sickness. We have gone the way of our inclination. We have gone the way of our own desires and our plans have been worked out, reasoned out with sense knowledge. You know, it probably hurts his heart when we're so unwise, when we do so many foolish things. When his wisdom is at our call, his ability awaits us. We're almost limitless. All that he is at our disposal. But sometimes we choose a road that leads to heartaches and disappointments. You see, because it is this forming of Christ within us. That's the secret that is the genius of the new creation man. Second Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, there's a new creation. 
and it's perfect as far as it has gone. But he wants to build himself more fully into that new creation. And so he takes the things of Christ that are unveiled to us in the word and the spirit builds them into us. We love the strength and courage of Jesus in his earth walk. We were thrilled at the ability that Christ manifested as he met every difficult situation. His wisdom, his gentleness and forbearance we admire. And now the Spirit wants to take all of those things that we have admired in Jesus and build them into us. You can see what it means, can't you? It is the Father's ambition to make us successful and to enable us to enjoy the riches that already belong to us. And I don't know whether you've noticed it or not, but in one of the prayer scriptures in John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, here's what Jesus said. He said, in that day, you shall ask me nothing. I'm gonna, this is all literal here. But barely, barely, I say unto you, if you shall ask anything of the Father, he will give it to you in my name. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be made full. Joy is something that comes into the recreated human spirit. The natural man doesn't have it. And listen to Jesus speaking again in John chapter 15 and verse 11. He says this, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. That's a miracle, that Jesus' joy may be full in me. That not only will I make him joyful, but he imparts to me his joy. That's something that fills my heart and makes the good news irresistible. When I speak, my face will glow. My voice will be filled with the melody of heaven. You see, when he builds himself into us and we begin to labor together with him, we have his life. We got his love. And yes, we have himself also. Christ then, at that moment, is being formed in us. Now it's no longer I, but Jesus the men who have grown deeply spiritual are the men in whom the word has had full control. John 15 verses 7 and 8 might throw a little light on this. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Every believer is in Christ, but his words are not never believed. What does it mean to have his words abiding in me? Gaining the absolute ascendancy dominating me in every phase of my thinking and my life. And as Jeremiah said, he said, we feed upon the word of God. Now I'm feeding. I am living in that word. I'm practicing it. And I am what James says in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, a doer of the word. Jesus said that the doer of the word dug deep, built his house upon the rock, 
and it made his house able to stand against any storm that might beat against it. He not only said that, but he said in John chapter 15 and verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Or to put it in my words, if you abide me and my words have found our place in you, then you can ask what you will, and it shall be created by the Father for you. Brought into being. That's what it's going to be. Brought into being. It'll happen. So, I cooperate with him. And in that fifth verse, he said, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. Now, I can understand it. As a branch, I'm going to bear his fruit. And I'm labored together with him. He and I are operating together. We are identified one with the other. He's finding a place for his ability to energize and act here on the earth again. And it's like a wealthy man that finds an intelligent young man that he can set up in business. And the young man has ability to use this wealthy man's money. Now he and I are laboring together and the father is glorified. Because I'm bearing a whole lot of fruit. And I prove by my life, my discipleship, that is true. And I prove that I'm growing in grace. And I'm growing in that uh, Colossians 1 and 9 paraphrase. I'm growing in that exact knowledge of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To the end that I may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. I'm bearing fruit now in every good work. And I am increasing in that exact knowledge, that perfect knowledge of the Father. And you have noticed in Jesus' life that there was also, there was always a sense of sureness and a sense of certainty. He, he didn't vacillate at all. He never stopped and said, now pray that I may have wisdom. He had it. And into our lives comes that same quiet sureness, that certainty that we know the Father's will. We're walking in it, and we're made fruitful with his ability that is at work in us. It is according to the might of his glory that has given to us steadfastness and long-suffering with joy. Colossians 1 and 12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father who made us able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And that's the climax of the heart desire of the Father, that we should so let him live his life in us, that we begin to enjoy our share of our inheritance in Christ. We are drawing dividends on what he has done for us and in us. We're coming to enjoy the riches of his grace. Glory to God. The Spirit, speaking through Paul, says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, For it is God who is at work within you, willing and working in his own good pleasure. Now, how hard has it been for some of us to become God inside-minded, to daily remind ourselves that we have him in us, that he's there to build Christ into us, to build the living word into us. Just like a brick mason that builds a house brick by brick so the Holy Spirit 
does the same thing. He takes one truth after another and builds it into us until we become Jesus-minded, love-controlled, father-pleasers. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 29, he said, For I do always the things that are pleasing to him. And that ought to be our heart slogan too. We want to make him happy, don't we? We want to make the Father happy. You see, because he has done a perfect work for us in the great substitution. There ain't nothing left undone. If we accept that work and let God work in us, it makes us to stand well-pleasing before the Father. We become beautiful to him because his nature was not only given to us, but now he has built into us through the Spirit the new habits that belong to the family of God, the new language that belongs to the new creation. We never talk about doubt or fear or sickness or want. We've almost forgot that language. We have that new language of the overcomer, the language of the man who is tied up with Christ, glory to God. And it's the language of the branches of the vine. That vine life has so developed in us that we become Jesus men and Jesus women. You know, I often wonder, why can't this spread over the land until there arises a new race of men known as the Jesus folks? (laughs) That's going to be love in action. They're going to be living in the Word, and the Word's going to be living in them. They're going to be doing the works of the Master, As Jesus did physical healing and ministered largely in the sense realm, these Jesus folks will minister very largely in the spiritual realm. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. And God is able to make all grace abound unto you, that ye, having always all sufficiency in everything, may abound unto every good work. And how slow we've been to realize that it was God's ability that could make that grace abound in and through us and that we were being so perfectly supplied by him that we were having all sufficiency in everything. He is our sufficiency. He is our ability. He is the strength of our lives. And we have ignored sense reasoning and cast it down and given our recreated spirits the right of way and the word the first place. Now, look at this 10th verse. And he that supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, shall supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, ye being enriched in everything into all, unto all liberality, which works through us thanksgiving to God. Folks, there has been little majoring of the fruit of righteousness. Well, what does that mean? It means that same kind of fruit that we saw in Jesus' public ministry. You see, righteousness means the ability to stand in the Father's presence without the sense of guilt or condemnation or inferiority. It means the ability to stand in the presence of Satan and his work without timidity or fear, without any sense of inferiority. And really... It means that you have become superior to Satan 
you have a superiority complex rather than an inferiority complex. You have come to reckon on the ability of the God inside of you. You have at last arrived at the place where you reckon on him. You plan your work with the idea that he is there to enable you to put it over. And you can't admit, omit, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. You know something? This scripture here ought to become so familiar to us that it will be a constant source of comfort and strength. Here's what it said, Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. And what the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to that working of the strength of his might, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Folks, you can't overestimate this. This is God working within you. This is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. This is the one who recreated you. And this is the spirit who has all the ability of the Godhead that is necessary for you to enjoy so that you're not afraid of the enemy in any field. You know he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him to be head over all things for the benefit of the church. And remember, this is the one who is at work within you. Now look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the ability of God, that is at work within us. Now, when you understand this scripture and you put it into daily practice, then you can know that you have arrived, glory to God. At last, you are a worthy member of the vine and you're actually bearing fruit to his glory. Now, write this in your notes on this particular scripture. Becoming God inside-minded Knowing that the all-wise one is in me now. That the God of all ability is in me now. That the God of all love is in me now. That God and I are linked up together, laboring together with him. We are becoming one in our thoughts and in our action. He and I are laboring together to carry out the great dream of grace. The God of all grace lives in men. So I say it over and over again. God, my Father, in the person of the Holy Spirit, through the living word, is living in me. Now, I can do all things in him because he has become my strength and my ability. Glory to God. That limitless one is in me. The love God lives in me. And at last, I become God inside minded. First John chapter 4 and verse 4 is not only a scripture, but it is a living reality. It says this, Ye are of God, my little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
that God of abundant life is inside me. He no longer with me to convict me, but he is in me, in me, in me to guide me into all the reality of his body ministry. Now I can understand what the Lord meant when he said laboring together with him. And I can understand what it means when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's husbandry, God's building. And I know what it means now to be a fellow worker. I know what it means to be God's tilled land. My heart and my life are the soil where he sows the seeds of love. And they're growing right now in me. And I am a part of God's dreams plan. And I'm coming to appreciate what it means to have real intimate fellowship with him. You know, maybe we've never majored in our own thinking and in our own inner consciousness what we really are in Christ. What it means to have Jesus as the Lord of lives, of our lives. And we read in Paul's or John's epistles what they say about it. First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the children of God. Then again, over in First John 5 and 4, For whatsoever is begotten of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that hath overcome the world, even our faith. You know, we never associated that with ourselves. And we never seriously said, Well, John's talking about me now. Or Paul is describing me. You know, this Paul, this, this Paul revelation right here is like a family album. You pick it up. You look at the first picture taken, taking a view when you were a babe. And then I turn again and you see another picture. Months have passed since that first one was put in the album. And then you see that someone has written underneath it. It says, when by reason of time, you ought to be teachers. You have need now that someone teach you the first principles of the rudiments of Christ. You still have to be fed on milk and not on the solid food. Then I notice further, he said, he calls my attention to the fact that I have never taken advantage of my righteousness, that I have lived as a bare man, when in reality I was a partaker of the divine nature. I remember how all these months I had been afraid to acknowledge that I was a Christian. I hadn't taken my stand. My confession had been very uncertain and definite. Well, why was that? Because I hadn't studied to show myself approved unto God. I had not lived the word. I had not practiced the word. And so I dared not confess that I was what the word said I was. Word says I'm redeemed in whom I have my redemption. But I don't have any sense of redemption. Satan rules over me. I live a great deal like those about me. I go to the same places they go. I listen to their stories and I talk. I go to the church. And when they preach a real heart searching message and give an altar call, I usually go to the altar. I cry a little and feel mighty sorry that I haven't done any better. But I go right back out and do the same old thing. Oh, yes, I have eternal life. I know that. I remember back yonder when one night God gave me eternal life. And for a few months, I lived in heaven. I had a wonderful victory. And I led several people to Jesus. 
Then something happened. And darkness came down over my life. And since that time, I have never walked in the light. I didn't know how to do it. I wish I did know how to get back into that old joy I once had. And then someone whispers to me and said, Haven't you read in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 where it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I answered, yes, I know that scripture. I have done it again and again, but I get no relief. But the same voice whispers again. He said, read it once more. If we confess our sin, you did that? Yeah. What does it say next? He is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sin. Well, if you have asked his forgiveness, don't you think he's faithful and righteous enough to make his word good in your case? And I wait a moment and I look into that word again and read it once more. Faithful and righteous to forgive us our trespasses. And my heart leaps for joy. He has forgiven me. That lost fellowship is restored. And I see it now. I have lived in darkness all these months when I could have walked in the light as he is in the light. I could have had fellowship with the brethren and fellowship with heaven and didn't know it. But I know it now. Before the world, I confess that I am walking in the light, glory to God. I confess that God is my father, and I am his child, that I am in his family. Satan's dominion over me has been broken, and I have in me now the very nature and life of the Son of God. He gave it to me, and I am a partaker of the divine nature. And I have passed out of death into life. I know that I am a son of God, and if I am a son, then I am an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And if that is true, then I have a standing with the Father just like the Master had, because he has become my sponsor. He is my Savior and my Lord. Well, I see it now. He has made me righteousness, and I can now stand in the Father's presence just as I did in those first days after accepting him, and I have a right now to ask him to come into my body and make his home. Make it his home. And I remember he said, if a man love me, he will keep my word. And the Father and I will love him. And we will come and make our abode with him. And I wonder if that doesn't mean that he will come and live in me. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he would live in my body? So whenever I went, wherever I went. He would be with me, and he would be in me. Then Isaiah 41.10 becomes a reality. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's mine. That's all mine, and I dare confess it before the world. And uh, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Romans 8 and 11 is real. It says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead shall make his home in your body. Yeah, quicken your body. Heal it if it's sick. Make it strong if it's weak. And pour into your spirit the consciousness of a victor. The sense of an overcomer. This 
then becomes a living reality in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now the God of peace who brought again from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep with the blood of an eternal covenant, even our Lord Jesus, make you perfect in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ and whom be the glory forever and ever. Well, how real this can become to the heart. And it all comes one when you dare to confess what he is in Christ. And more than that, confess it in the face of everything. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. That darkest night What will be my guiding light The shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you Oh, sacred heart in you I find Mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh, Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus.